There we go. Great. I hope you found that um, a hopeful overview. If you haven't come across those videos before, um, there's a website you can go to called The Bible Project, and they've done one of those for every book of the Bible, which I personally find really helpful to see how the individual passages we often read together, and we're going to be doing so today, fit together into an overall letter, see how it was intended to be. Because when Paul uh, and other writers of the New Testament letters, indeed all the books in the Bible, were written, they were written as a whole with a flow through to them. And, and yet we often miss that because we zoom in. So I hope that helps to remind you and help you to see how it fits together. So we're in this series on 1 Thessalonians um, we're continuing that today. We're a second week in. David started it last week uh, looking at the gospel of grace. And the context of this letter, as David reminded us yesterday and as we saw in the video, was that Paul had established a church in this part, uh, in this city called Thessalonica, and uh, had to flee there as he had from Philippi because the, the public had turned against what he was doing. And he had to flee for his safety. So he had to leave very abruptly. But in that time he was there, he'd really clicked with the Thessalonians. His heart had linked with them and them with him. And there was a really great relationship he had with them. So he's writing this letter because he wanted to check in with them, see how they're doing, to encourage them uh, and to spur them on afresh. So David last week was looking at the gospel of grace and how everything starts from God's work uh, in our lives. And that very much is that we need to hold that in our heads as we continue through the letter. Everything Paul writes flows out of the grace that he's experienced and he knows that the church has experienced. So there are times when he's instructing them on things they should do, but it's not because of a sense of duty, but because of flowing out of what God has already done for them and what he has done for us. So today's title is Authentic Leadership, and uh, Paul provides an incredible example of godly, authentic leadership in what he writes in the passage we're going to be looking at today, which is chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You can be finding that. We'll have it come up on the screen for me in a little bit. But just when I was thinking about even the very title, it's a little bit daunting to preach on authentic leadership. It's always a risk because immediately I'm putting myself under the spotlight as one of your leaders Uh, and the elders and the wider KCC leaders. We're almost like we're under a spotlight the moment we start talking about leadership and being authentic leaders. But I know that this is our heart. We don't always necessarily get it right, but that is our heart. We want to be godly, authentic leaders. And I hope as we look through this passage, you will see much of what is written uh, about being demonstrated amongst the leaders in this church. But I I think it's worth also saying that some of you might think, okay, well, I can just tune out then, because this is for leaders. You're you're talking about authentic leaders. Well, I I haven't got a leader label, so I'll, I'll I'll just zone out. I'll just catch up on Facebook or something while we're sat here. But I want to say, actually, this is a message for all of us. Because I see all of you as leaders in some way. You may not have a title of being a leader in the church, but you all lead in some way. You know, you may well be leading in your workplace, or in your family, your children. 
all of us are leading in some way, even if you're leading yourself. We all lead, and we all have a responsibility to lead well. You know, we're so aware of leaders around us being found wanting. You know, we can't miss it. It's almost so a week doesn't go by with some other (laughs) scandal involving a leader at all sorts of levels. The allegations and the accusations against national figures, national leaders, world leaders, local council leaders, in businesses, even in charities. There's been so much in recent history. And some of those allegations were well-founded. There have indeed been horrendous scandals, poor management of different situations. We've, we've experienced it ourselves in workplace, I'm sure, where we've, we've been aware of leaders and managers who haven't done things the way that perhaps should have been done. And yet sometimes allegations and accusations are just rumours. And they spread quickly. And how much more quickly do they spread now in the world of social media? And we get people being almost tried and sentenced for things that they had nothing to do with. But because it's gone out there, people believe it. We have a need for good, godly leaders. And that is vital now more than ever. And we all have a part in that. You know, as Colin got us this morning to do, it's so important that we pray for our leaders. We need to pray that God will raise up men and women at every level of society that are men and women of integrity, honesty, of compassion, who are prepared to stand up for justice and righteousness. We need that across the board in our businesses, in our councils, in government level, in charities. We need it. So we can pray and we continue to pray. Don't just do it, oh, I've done it once. We did it in church on Sunday. No, we need to keep praying. (coughs) We're in confusing times at the moment. We need to know God leading the leaders well. But also, we can play our part by being those authentic leaders ourselves, showing a better way in the way that we handle people, the way we handle situations. So this passage, even though it was written thousands of years ago, it is so relevant for today. And we're going to read it through. And today, I'm going to do it in two ways. We're going to read it through from the message translation, the message version, because I think sometimes it just gives a, a freshness to things, perhaps a slightly different way of putting it. And then we're going to look through in chunks, and I'm going to read it from the, the ESV when I do. So let me just read this to you, and yeah, just hear it afresh, what God has to say. So we're looking at chapter 2, and it's verses 1 to 12. So friends, it's obvious that our visit to you was no waste of time. We had just been given rough treatment in Philippi, as you know, but that didn't slow us down. We were sure of ourselves in God, and went right ahead and said our peace, presenting God's message to you defiant of the opposition. God tested us thoroughly to make sure we were qualified to be trusted with this message, but assured that when we speak to, be assured that when we speak to you, we're not after crowd approval, only God approval. Since we've been put through the battery of tests, 
you're guaranteed that both we and the message are free of error, mixed motives, or hidden agendas. We never use words to butter you up. No one knows that better than you. And God knows we never use words as a smokescreen to take advantage of you. Even though we had some standing as Christ's apostles, we never threw our weight around or tried to come across as important with you or anyone else. We weren't aloof with you. We took you just as you were. We were never patronising, never condescending, but we cared for you the way a mother cares for her children. We loved you dearly. Not content just to pass on the message, we wanted to give you our hearts, and we did. You remember us in those days, friends, working our fingers to the bone, up half the night, moonlighting so you wouldn't have the burden of supporting us while we proclaimed God's message to you. You saw with your own eyes how discreet and courteous we were among you, with keen sensitivity to you as fellow believers, and God knows we weren't freeloaders. You experienced it all firsthand. With each of you, you were like, uh, we were like a father with his child, holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God, who called us into his own kingdom, into his, this delightful life. So we're going to take this passage in three chunks over the next few minutes. We're going to look at authentic leadership challenged, authentic leadership demonstrated, and authentic leadership multiplied. So first of all, authentic leadership challenged. So unlike some of the leadership scandals we've seen broadcast in the news, social media in recent years, these accusations against Paul were untrue. They were unfounded. They were rumours. They were malicious allegations against him. We're not entirely sure of the accuser's motives. You know, maybe they were seeking to cause division in this new religious group. Maybe they were seeking to discredit it and hope that it would stop because of taking out their leader. Maybe it was jealousy over Paul's influence over this people. Maybe those, these accusers wanted it for themselves. Maybe they were fearful of something new popping up. But whatever their motives were, and maybe it was a mixture of those things, it is clear they were out to get him and his ministry, to take him down. It was more than just Paul's teaching were being challenged and questioned, but his very character and motives too. It must have really hit hard on him. But let's look at how the, uh, the ESV, the English Standard Version, puts these first three verses of this passage. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we have already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. You know, not only was Paul treated so badly that he had to flee for his life from Philippi and had to escape from Thessalonica, which is where he's writing to here. But he's then accused of various things. And we get that in verse 3. He's, accused, he's coming back and saying, no, we, our, our appeal does not come from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Error in the sense that the message he was bringing was faulty in some way. And yet he says, I'm proclaiming the gospel of God. There's nothing faulty or untrue about God's word. He's saying it doesn't come with impurity. 
Now, that might hint at sexual impurity because, sadly, traveling teachers were known for taking advantage of those around them sexually. And so there may have been some sort of hidden accusation about Paul's impurity sexually, some sort of sexual immorality. Can't get my words out today. But it could also just be more generally impure motives. They were accusing, saying, or maybe what he's saying, underlying what he's saying, there's an attitude of pride or greed or wanting to be popular. This would certainly fit with later comments we see in this very passage. He also says it doesn't come out of any attempt to deceive. There was no deception in what Paul was doing, such as trying to conceal the cost of following Jesus. He himself was very aware of the costs and was very open about the cost that he had to bear. Or by offering some sort of fraudulent blessings. If you do this, then this will happen for you. No, he wasn't, he wasn't a man like that. He goes on to talk about some of the other accusations. There's hints at the other accusations he received. We get in verse 5, we never came with words of flattery. You know, people were accusing him. You know, you're only doing this because you want to get something out of it for yourself. He says also it wasn't out of greed either. There was no pretext of greed. Pretending to serve others so that he could be served himself and get something in return. Nor did he do it for glory from people. He says, look, I'm not a people pleaser. We didn't do it to please people. We're doing it just to please God. That is our heart. These are pretty hefty accusations against this man. They must have been really difficult, hard and hurtful. I was thinking this over, and having people challenge your leadership is really difficult. remember years ago when I was down in Brighton, at part of a church which is now called Emmanuel Church, Church of Christ the King at the time, and I was involved with the kids' work. I was leading the, the 8 to 11's work, and there was a, a lady on the team who, who just didn't like the way I was leading it. And I don't think she ever outrightly accused me of something or, or made an allegation against me, but there was just an attitude of challenge. And it really hurt. It was hard. And yet we're working together day in, day out, and there was this underlying attitude she would give off. And she would just articulate, she would say kind of how unhappy she was with that decision or this decision to all sorts of people. And it's really difficult. It hurts. For my part, I had to sort of suck it up and and bring it before God and and seek to treat her as best I possibly could, knowing it was hurting, and leave it with God. And do you know what? I'm so grateful I did, because years later, years later, I was at a wedding, and this lady came up to me, and she said, I just wanted to say, I was so horrible to you, wasn't I? I was so horrible to you when you used to lead that team. I'm so sorry. And it just blew me away. I could have responded outrageously in the moment, but I had to, okay, I've got to respond in a godly way here. But it hurt, it was difficult, I had to bring it before God. Another time when I was deputy head at the school, I knew I was relatively young, God pushed me way too quickly through, but I was in leadership in a school, I was deputy head. And there was a, a very experienced teacher that had been teaching for years, and she was not happy with this young whippersnapper as she saw me. 
coming in and, and being on the senior leadership of the school. And she would make it quite clear she was not happy with this. What do I know? It hurts when people challenge. And for me, those weren't, neither of those people were making accusations, allegations like Paul had to face. But it's difficult. And we have choices. How do we react when people accuse us? I'm getting ahead of myself. But actually, it was amazing. I, I've now got to know this lady really well, and we're good friends. And she's one of the few people I still stay in contact with, even though I've left that school many years ago now. Difficult. These people were out a smear campaign seeking to pull, pull, pull down. It's so important that we learn how to handle criticism well. Now, there is a time and a place for challenge. There is a time for it, and we need to be humble before God. And when someone brings a criticism against us, we need to handle it well. There's a right way to challenge people and there's a right way to be challenged as well. You know, if we, if we have a problem with someone, we talk to them about it. We challenge them about it. Say, look, what you're doing here, I find it really difficult. Be honest with them, yes. We don't go blasting it out and putting it on Twitter. This person's done this. We talk to them. That's the biblical approach. And if they don't respond, we get a brother or sister to join us to challenge them. We don't plaster all over social media. We don't start telling everyone about it. We deal with it right. And also, the reason why we're doing it is because we want to move on and restore the relationship with them. It's not to try and expose them, which is what these accusers were trying to do against Paul. But also, if we're challenged, is there any truth in what the person's saying? Bring it before God. If there's truth, Lord, in this, help me to see it. Help me to look past the, the, the harshness and, the, and, the, and the, the, the manner in which it was brought. And how me to see, is there any truth in it? Is there, if there is, help me to be humble and respond to it because you want the best for me, Lord. And if it isn't, help me to shake it off, to throw it off. <coughs> Our job is to think the best of people until proved otherwise. You know, if we hear an accusation against someone, don't rush straight in, oh, yes, I agree, that's so. Stop and think, hang on a minute. I know this person. Check it out. And if someone does falsely accuse us, we need to respond in a godly way. That means with love and with compassion. It's so important in this that we know our identity in Christ. You know, this is Paul's foundation. This is why he was able to cope with these accusations, these allegations, because he was totally God-centered and God-focused. He knew he was in Christ. He knew that he was loved, that he was cherished, that he was secure and significant, that God delighted in him. If you call yourself a Christian here today, that is true for you as well. God delights in you. He loves you. You are special. You're secure. You're safe. It's so important we keep coming back to that. As we go out and we do things and people throw things at us, unless we are rooted in Christ, we're going to be overwhelmed. We're going to be crushed. But you know, being rooted in Christ, almost like we get a Teflon coating over us. The insults, the accusations, they're less likely to stick. We can throw them off and handle people and respond in a 
godly way. You know, there's no denying some of the things he came up against are very common things to be accused of. And sadly, they're often true for people. The pull of money and power and sex, which were things that Paul's being accused of here, they're very real. And in leadership, you're very visible. So if you fall for those, the impact is massive. And so it's so important for all of us to be accountable to, what, to some people, to be accountable to people, to help us, to call us back. How are you doing in these areas? And if you're in leadership in some way, some way or other, whether it's in church or in work or in your family, which is m- most of us, we need to be talking to people, getting their support, being honest. This is an area I really find difficult. Would you ask me questions about this? Well, this is something I, I really don't know what to do with. Will you help me in this? be accountable. And I want to reassure you, church, that as elders, we are accountable. We're accountable to one another, but also we're accountable to people beyond our church. So we regularly meet with with King's Arms leaders and other leaders within the Catalyst group, and we talk to them about things we find difficult. We talk to them and we're open. This passage tells us Paul's authentic leadership was challenged. And he handled it well. So how did he respond? Let's move on and look at the second bit. Authentic leadership demonstrated. Verses 4 to 10. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden for any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. So we see in this passage a few uh, ways that Paul demonstrated authentic leadership. It was seen. So first of all, he, he cites here that he's God-appointed and God-focused. He sees himself as someone who's tested by God, approved by God, trusted by God, and seeking to please God. God was everything to Paul. He was his centre. And like I set out a couple of weeks ago, he was very aware of Psalm 46.10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. That was Paul. He kept coming back, coming back to God, to this grace, to this gospel, And as I said already, everything he did flowed from that. He never ventured far from God filling his mind. He saw it as a privilege to have the gospel entrusted to him and a responsibility to be faithful to that stewardship. Is that how we see the gospel? Do we see it as a privilege that we've been entrusted with this good news? Do we take our responsibility to be faithful? faithful to that stewardship, seriously. 
So he was God-centered, God-focused, God-appointed. He also had a very open and honest, a very real leadership style. He led out in the open. He does, his dealings weren't in secret. He wasn't mysterious, aloof, or hidden away. In fact, we see here five times just in these 12 verses where he, he mentions that the Thessalonians were witnesses to his style. In fact, also twice that God is witness to his style. Verse 1, you yourselves know that our coming to you was not in vain. Verse 2, we had already suffered, as you know. Verse 5, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of for greed, God is witness. Verse 9, for you remember. And verse 10, you are witnesses and God also. He led out in the open. He was real, he was authentic. There was a transparency to how he led. And hopefully, that's what you see here in KCC. Because you know what? We have an incredible gift in this church. We have an incredible gift, and that is the leaders. Our church really is quite special, unique. In the raft, the wealth that we have in our leaders. Other churches look on when they hear about what we have in this church, the men and women that faithfully serve, and they lead in a real, authentic way. You know, yesterday afternoon and evening, so many of us parents were blessed by Emma and Anil, who were really real and authentic about parenting. They're living it out. They're being honest. And I would say that's replicated across the room in different ways. It's not to say we're perfect. We don't always get it right. But our aim is to be real with you. And that's what Paul was like. He was open. He was authentic. He also led with a godly character. Very much kind of countering the accusations. Actually, they don't wash because he demonstrated this man of integrity. He was persevering and courageous. He said, you know, even though we'd had to flee from Philippi, we still kept pressing on with boldness. We still proclaimed this truth. It wasn't going to put us off. He was a man of integrity and honesty. He was humble before God, faithful and hardworking. You know, he said, you know, we didn't want to be a burden to you, so we worked through the night making money so that we could fund ourselves. We were totally committed to you, to preaching the good news to you and, and seeing you blessed we didn't want to burden you in any way. He was faithful. He was hardworking. He was holy and righteous and blameless. Paul led with a godly character for all to see. Would that be us too? Are there areas of our character that we need to work on? Because people see them. And he led with a genuine love for the Thessalonians. He was gentle and caring, generous and loving. He, he says, we were like a mother to you. We were like a father to you. What a blessing it is to be led by people who genuinely care for you. You know, I've, had the, I've been blessed to be led by people who genuinely care for me. And not just in the church, actually. Thankfully, yes, in the church, many times, but also out in the workplace. I've, had, I've known of uh, different schools. But I've been at three head teachers one at each school that was so good at genuinely caring for me and those that they led. They went out of their way to show an interest 
in my life, not just in my work life, but what was going on. They would read what was going on. They'd see if I was finding it difficult and they'd put things in place to help. It makes such a difference when we're led by people who genuinely care for us. Now, Paul said he got really involved in their lives. It says there in verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of, of God, not just the teachings. He didn't just stand at the front of their meeting and teach them, but he gets stuck in. It says, we shared of ourselves because you've become very dear to us. Hear his passion for those people. And you know what? That's what the leaders in this church are like. They share of themselves over and over and over again. Every time they have you in their home, or they arrange a babysitter or a meal, every time they visit you when you're not well, every time they encourage you, every time they listen, every time they give you time, they're sharing of themselves. That's what God's calling us to as authentic leaders. To be people who are God-centred, God-focused, to be people who are open and real, to be people who have godly characters and people who genuinely love those we lead. You know, that video we watched summed up what Christian leadership was about. I don't know if you spotted it in one of the books. It says that the essence of Christian leadership is not about power and having influence, but about healthy relationships and humble, loving service. That's what we want to be. We want people who do that here when we're gathered as church, but also when we're out in the workplace, when we're leading our families, when we're leading those in our streets. Because, you know, we have that role. We have that role in our community. As children of God, we're called to transform things. And we do that by being authentic leaders. Paul nailed it so powerfully. We're trying to, too. So we've had authentic leadership challenged. We've had authentic leadership demonstrated. Finally, these last two verses, authentic leadership multiplied. Last three verses, sorry. Verse 10 to 12. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was your conduct towards your believers. Are you believers? For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Why did Paul do all this? Why did he do this? Why did he face the challenges? Why did he keep going? Well, he was totally God-centered and committed to God and to his word, but also because he was committed to these people. He wanted to grow big people. He set a pattern in the way he was that could then be repeated and multiplied. He was totally committed to disciple, growing disciples, making disciples, who would make disciples, who would make disciples. And do you know what? He was incredibly successful. How do we know that? Because we, in this room, are a result of what Paul did. He raised up authentic leaders through his authentic leadership, who then raised up other leaders, who raised up 2,000 years' worth of that has been going on. And here we are today because of Paul's Great work. Anointed by God, called by God, his faithfulness. He was incredibly able to raise up authentic leaders because he was an authentic leader. He multiplied. That should be 
our aim. Because of living and doing what God's asked us to, we will be raising up others who will then raise up others. It's clearly a strategy that works. His strategy involved exhorting others. It says there in verse 12, I exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He exhorted them. Come on, you can do this. I urge you. He encouraged them. Encouraged them. You're doing a great job. I love it when you do this, that and the other. You'll really bring honour to others around you, to bring honour to God. He encouraged them and he, and he charged them. Come on, walk in the way that is worthy of, the, of your God. It's a good model for all of us. Exhort, encourage, charge. Exhort, encourage, charge. Point them back to God. He was a man who was God-centred and he was raising up others that would be God-centred. So in this passage, just as we come to an end, Paul had his authentic leadership challenged and questioned those accusations, those allegations, but he responded well. He responded in a godly, loving way. He cites how his authentic leadership was demonstrated, that they were witnesses, that God was witness. And that he spoke of how his authentic leadership was multiplied. There was fruit from what he did. What is your response when you are challenged or accused over something? Do you respond in a godly way? Do you demonstrate authentic leadership like Paul? Are you God-focused, open and real? Do you have, lead with a godly character and with a genuine love for people? And how are you doing in multiplying authentic leaders through exhorting, encouraging, charging and pointing back to God? So God is at work amongst us. Each one of us have an incredible calling. We're called to be culture shapers, to be world changers. And we do that by staying close to him, by following him. I'll be really honest, this has not been an easy one to put together. Some preachers come together easier than others. It didn't help in the fact that I had this very same passage back in June last year. Some of you might have not spotted at all. Others would be going, I'm sure Dom talked about this before. But David and I were joking about it. How, why, why has that happened? Well, God obviously wanted to highlight something this morning. And I think it's so relevant as people are questioning leaders around us, that we rise up, that we pray for those leaders that God has appointed. And where we have opportunities to lead, we demonstrate a better way. Let me just pray, and then we're going to end there because we're we're out of time. Father God, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you have an amazing plan for each one of us. You have an amazing plan for our nation and for this world. I thank you too that you are the king of all kings and the ruler of all rulers. He's a God of time and eternity. Help us to be people who regularly hold up those who lead in prayer. Help us to bring people before you regularly in prayer. Help us too to be people to lead, who lead well, 
in whatever capacity that might be, in whatever area we move in, help us to lead well, to lead our families, to lead our neighbourhoods, to lead our, our workplaces, to lead this, the churches and the groups that we're part of, to lead them well as God-centred people who are open and real, people who walk well with you. And Lord, yeah, just help us in all we do, we pray, that we glorify you. Amen. Amen.